I'm Scott Fife, a pioneer rep from Stormont County, and you're listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Thanks, Scott, and thank you for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Last episode, we talked a lot about soybeans and what soybean breeder Evelyn Valera said were her number one and number two priorities when it comes to bringing new products to market. For this episode, the focus is corn, and specifically, we want to talk about a new issue that is cropping up in Ontario, and that's BT-resistant corn rootworm. After all, corn rootworm can have tremendous impact on yield, and so if this technology isn't able to do its job, it means the impact becomes massive in a hurry. So let's get started with a trip to Iowa to catch up with Corteva's global technology educator, Clint Pilcher. Clint Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. To get started with this conversation, let's start with corn rootworm itself. Can you describe for us what this pest is and what kind of damage it can do? Yeah, well, corn rootworm is arguably the most economic uh, insect pest that we deal with in corn. And so growers are certainly tuned into this pest, especially if they're in a continuous corn situation. What they're what they're looking for, if, if uh, so, what does the corn rootworm do? It it damages the root system of the corn plant. That's where the economic damage typically is is caused. Uh, the larval uh, the larvae larval stage of this pest, uh, they hatch out in the spring, and then the larvae feed upon the roots early in the growing season. Um, and in our area in North America, you know this is typically occurring in uh, you know, late May, early, early June, or through most of the month of June is when this feeding is occurring. So farmers are definitely uh, you know, interested in how much of that feeding is occurring on the root system. Uh, and hopefully not much is occurring because if, if a significant amount of feeding occurs, those plants become vulnerable to lodging as well as significant yield loss and, uh, you know, and that's what they're trying to avoid is their corn falling over uh, later in the season. You mentioned, especially in the corn on corn scenarios, is that because populations are increasing year after year? Yes. So corn rootworm loves corn. Uh, this is their main, their main host. And in a continuous corn scenario, it, the cycle continues and those populations can uh, build over time. And unfortunately, you know, the last couple of years have been a bit more challenging uh, with this pest as, we, as we've seen populations continue to rise. And it has, we've been in a, we've been fortunate uh, for the previous five or six years, you know, where populations overall, you know, so the larger ge- geographic area have been lower. And so that's been, that's been a bonus for, for farmers. Uh, here in the recent history, but we're starting to see corn, uh, you know, increase as commodity prices increase. There's more interest in growing corn. Um, you know, continuous corn acres uh, tend to be increasing, and uh, you know, corn. So that that's favorable to the corn rootworm, and so it's that's what we're trying to. Uh, mediate or mitigate, if you will, is are these populations increasing like they are over time. 
So I know this is going to sound like a simple question, even though I know the answer is far from simple, but what does a grower do to reduce the population or at least the impact of the corn rootworm? Right. Well, you just framed the question, which basically, you know, provides us the two options or, or general approaches, strategic approaches we can take to manage this pest. In one scenario, you're really managing the pest population, which is, is what we would prefer uh, our customers work on is to, is to be a proactive and develop a multi-pronged, multi-year approach to managing the pest population. And we'll talk a little bit here about what those tools are uh, to be able to do that. The other approach is just more of a, uh, a reactive or, a, or just protect the roots approach, okay? And, and, that, and that, is, that is another approach. And, and really we're trying to, we're trying to do, we're trying to um, promote a, a combination of both of these, both of these approaches. But, one is simply let's protect the roots on a year by year basis and ensure the plants uh, yield to their expectations, the corn plants. The other is let's focus on the population and get that overall population down so that it is more manageable, more sustainable, um, and improves the durability of our products uh, over the long term. So the, the approaches then, what are the tactics uh, for each of those scenarios? As I mentioned, multi-year proactive approach, we're really trying to break the cycle of the, of, the, of the rootworm. And as I said, they love corn. So what's one thing we can do? We can yank corn out of the field and break that cycle. And typically, you know, we're planting soybeans to do that across most of the, the corn belt here in the States and up in Canada, you know, that's one of the, the main options is to plant soybeans. Uh, soybeans are not a host of corn rootworm. And when you remove the host, then you prevent that cycle from occurring. You basically reset the population uh, in that field. So that's our number one uh, recommendation. Another tactic that we can do to reduce populations is use of adult uh, foliar control, uh, you know, crop protection later in the season. The, when the larvae are done feeding on the roots, they pupate, those adults emerge, typically in the July to August timeframe. So we, you know, that's when we need to scout, understand what those adult populations are, and then we can spray an insecticide to, you know, decrease the size of that population for the following season. So that's another tool uh, that we have in our toolbox to, to manage those populations. The, the third approach, you've heard about the new RNAi technology uh, that is coming out, and that will be a, a tool that is very effective in, in controlling adult emergence. And so that is something that, you know, as new products come out over the next few years, that will be another tool that will help manage uh, the rootworm populations. The other tactics that we have soil applied insecticide, uh, the current BT traits um, are not as effective in managing populations. And people might scratch their heads and say, well, why is that the case? Well, BT traits are very, the ones we have on the market are very mature products, meaning they've been around for quite a while. Um, 
they are not as effective in uh, controlling all of the, the insects in, in the soil. So uh, we generally are not, we're, we're basically stating they're not as effective in managing the population as they once were. That doesn't mean we have, you know, a tremendous amount of resistance out there with some of these, but it does mean that we're starting to see adaptation in, in some of these fields uh, to those products. And for soil applied insecticides, those tools really just protect the roots. They are not a population management tool. So if our goal is to reduce populations, we basically have those three options that I discussed. One option down the road is one you mentioned, RNAi, and the potential that it provides, certainly not next growing season, but in the future. Can you talk a little bit about what this is, timelines for release, and maybe a little more about this technology coming down the pipeline? Yeah, so RNAi is a, is a new uh, exciting trait that, uh, but I, and it, it's always good to have new tools. We're very, we're very excited to have a, a new option here in the, in the near term. Uh, but, uh, but there's a couple of key messages I wanna, I wanna relay to people about this, this trait. So RNAi essentially uh, shuts down certain uh, protein pathways within an insect. And so when they feed upon the plant, they get this double-stranded RNA, RNA, and it, it, it shuts down some, some pathways, some protein-making pathways that are critical for the insect to complete development. So that's, that's what it does. That's how, you know, that's how it works. Uh, the, there's a couple things. It, it, it works fairly slowly, though. So it, 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 once the insect feeds, it may take you know, seven to 12 days uh, for that insect to die. So it, in the meantime, it will continue to feed as, which is different than the use of a BT. So, uh, you know, a BT, they, they pretty much stop feeding right away because it sort of shuts down, you know, their, their desire to continue to feed. So, so that's, you know, some, some differences. BT is a little bit faster acting uh, with regards to its mode of action as opposed to uh, the RNAi. So the RNAi technology really needs active BT proteins to be effective out there. So if, if you're a, a grower that has been using BTs consistent, consistently over the you know, past many years, and you're seeing those BTs not work as effectively, um, RNAi is not going to necessarily solve uh, the problem. <laughs> It will probably help with some, some efficacy initially, but it really needs those BTs to be active, to partner with, to help protect the roots to, their, to its full ability, right? So uh, in other words, if your BTs are not working very well, RNA, you're still gonna see significant damage on roots, um, even though you have RNAi in there. So you know, that's just, that's an important note. So that, that's one piece. The second piece is, as I mentioned, RNAi is very effective at, at preventing adult emergence. So these insects will eventually die, but they feed for a little while, uh, and but then it, it, it actually kills them eventually. Um, so that's a good thing. So what's, what's helpful about that is, is that if you, if you have that lowering the population in your field, then that opens up the opportunities for other tactics that you could use the following year. 
you don't so so you can you can uh, spread out the use of different tactics. Say you know maybe you you use a, a different trait or you use a soil apply insecticide on on a non BT corn product uh, that can be very effective if you if you've had an RNAi trait on in that field and the populations are basically reset or much lower than they were. Then if they really need to work together, BT and RNAi, it means that a grower really needs to put control of rootworm fairly high on their priority list because simply going the way we're going, particularly those doing corn on corn rotations, just isn't going to be sustainable in the long term. No, that, that's exactly right. I think it's really important, uh, you know, especially in you know, especially in the Canadian region, you think, so with the, with the dynamics that are occurring with climate change and, and, and warming, uh, you know, this is affecting pest populations. And, you know, I, I, to be honest, unfortunately for Canada, you know, you, you would see pests like rootworm potentially increasing as, as being problem over time, as you continue to, for that environment to warm. Um, so warming it, you know, by a, a, just a degree or two, you know, affects how successful those insects could be. Um, and that, and I'm not just talking about rootworm, I'm talking about other, other pests as well. So, you know, that's, that's one thing, uh, to consider, but so these populations are, you know, if, if we continue to provide the right environment for them, they're going to continue to increase and be problematic and, and really crop rotation is probably the only option in some scenarios. So, you know, I just encourage diversity uh, in management tactics, uh, you know, try to build in a crop rotation, um, you know, discuss, discuss with your neighbors, you know, growers that are considering what to do. Um, and because rootworm, they tend to stay in the same field uh, that they emerge from and, and lay most of their eggs in that field. But as, as most growers know, they will migrate, uh, especially late in the season, to maybe later fields that are, you know, have, a, have later pollinating or longer maturity uh, hybrids that are later pollinating. They will move to those food sources later in the season and lay eggs in those fields as well. So it's, you know, I think it's good to understand and, and and maybe build more of a community plan, if you will, with, with neighbors on trying to build a rotation uh, that will work. And, and especially livestock operators, you know, uh, considering, okay, yeah, I, I use, I grow a lot of silage. I do continuous corn to, you know, for production for my cattle. Can I work with some neighbors nearby so I can build some rotations into my operations just to try to keep these populations lower because I, so we really need to think what, what these technologies, you know, especially RNAi coming in with, with this tool, we, I think we have the at, we should bring into the discussion, what can we do from an area wide standpoint? And can we lower these populations across the geography? If there's a more coordinated rotational system built in, across a larger area. I think our, the potential opportunities here are, are improved over what we've had in the past. Clint, thanks so much for your perspectives and adding to the conversation today. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Next, we're going to take a quick drive. For me, it's north to a plot near Denfield, Ontario, where I get to meet up with Corteva agronomist Greg Stops 
who's coming south to talk to me about corn rootworm resistance and what it's like here in Ontario. Well, first of all, Greg, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me back on, Andrew. Well, you were such a professional in season one. We had to bring you and what a beautiful day to actually be doing this interview uh, outside near a plot because I think one of the things we've wanted to do with this season of the podcast is actually have a look at, you know, what some of the issues are and what some of the results are like. Our conversation we just had with Clint was obviously around root, root worm kind of bring us up to speed on what it is as an issue, how it impacts the crop. What I'd like to start with you is let's bring this conversation to a very Ontario perspective. Uh, how, how big of an issue is rootworm first as an issue for Ontario corn growers, but two, what's the issue of resistance like for Ontario growers? So with your first question of how big of an issue is it for Ontario, um, I think it's it's probably bigger than most people realize. Um, that being said, it's probably not the biggest issue we face because for the most part, a large chunk of Ontario's corn acres are not corn on corn acres. That is a, a limited amount uh, and certainly more limited geographically to certain pockets as well. Um, now, the second question, the issue of resistance, how big is that? Um, that is an emerging issue that is definitely coming to center stage for us. Uh, it is one that is a problem and that we are seeing more and more areas of high pressure where we're seeing expected issues with resistance that are starting to build. Uh, we have a few areas in the province that already have confirmed resistance to all of the BT traits for corn rootworm that are currently on the market and that should be of, of great concern to a lot of us, especially and maybe disproportionately to those who are producing corn for feed for livestock right especially for hogs or for dairy or beef because we've been seeing this issue you know at least become more prevalent in the last couple of years but like quickly becoming more prevalent in the last couple of years yeah, it, it certainly has become more prevalent, and I think there's a few um, factors that, that have contributed to that. Um, one, we've had a couple really good years where uh, we've had great conditions kind of through June and July that have allowed for increased amounts of larval survivability, which means increased pressure from corn rootworm on root feeding and, and some of those things, right? And with that increased pressure, in areas where we've seen continuous corn for a number of years and continuous corn utilizing BT uh, technology uh, for corn rootworm, uh, we've seen those insects find a way around it, right? They are evolving or we, they are actually kind of we are putting that selection pressure on corn rootworm to find those portions of the population that are resistant naturally to those BT traits, right? And those resistant portions of the population are becoming more and more predominant in the overall population, which means they're doing more and more damage and getting around the technology and what we had intended it for. Now, you mentioned feeding, and you even brought props to this interview, so props to you for it. Um, we've got stalks here that you have from fields last season that have rootworm damage. Obviously, it's a podcast. Nobody can see it, but maybe you can kind of describe what this damage looks like and what the end result on a farm like this is when you do see damage. 
Yeah, so I've got a few stocks here, and again, this is great for radio. Uh, but, uh, you know, what we typically see when we see corn rootworm feeding is that we see the removal of, of whole nodes at times from the corn plant, right? So when you dig up those roots, wash them off, and you find that uh, the roots, the coming out of the nodes are completely gone or chewed back within an inch of the stalk. Uh, it signifies really heavy pressure and if it is indeed a BT hybrid that has the technology for corn rootworm and you're seeing that level of feeding it's a very good sign that that technology has started to break down and we're probably facing some sort of resistance. Um, the, the rootworm themselves do prune the roots right so they are feeding on all of the root mass, especially on some of those bigger nodal roots and, and, and just stripping them all the way back. The corn plant tries to recover uh, and tries to put out new roots. And so oftentimes we see an effect called bottle brushing on, on the tips of those roots. Um, but in many cases where we're running into suspected resistance or very high pressure uh, of corn rootworm, the plant simply can't adjust and recover from it. So what we see then with that reduced uh, root mass is anytime you get uh, uh, even a minor weather system kind of go through the area, you will quickly see root lodging and those plants will go over. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, if it's wind that's blowing one way, you'll see the plants all go over one way. If it's wind that's just very minor, sometimes you'll start to see lodging where plants are twisted and going every which way in the field. And that's a really good sign that there's probably a rootworm problem there to begin with. Well, and here in a couple of these stalks that you do have, I mean, <laughs> that is not a very thick stalk. That is a thin stalk. I can't imagine the cob that comes off of that is is going to yield well. What kind of, you know, here in Ontario, what kind of yield loss are we looking at with rootworm? Yeah, so you're right in that, um, you know, when it's pruning those roots, what you're also doing to the plant, right, is, is basically reducing its ability to, to uptake water, nutrients, everything it needs to set yield. So in those extreme circumstances where resistance has built, where there is high pressure, it is not uncommon to see absolutely devastating yield effects. Um, you know, the field that I took these out of last year had probably reduced its yield by about 50%, which is just uh, really devastating, right? For, for obviously that grower, uh, as well as anyone who's dealing with these issues. So then Greg, in terms of solutions, I wanna come back in a couple of minutes about you know the role crop rotation plays and you know kind of other solutions that can be done today. We did talk with Clint, he mentioned RNAi technology that they're working on. Another thing that's working, that you're working on, that Pioneer's working on along with others, you know, right here in Ontario is the use of nematodes to try to help control some of this population. We're standing beside a cornfield that is a trial for that. Can you talk about how do you use nematodes to control rootworm? Before I jump into the nematodes, I want to just highlight, you know, there, there are a number of tools in the toolbox, like you've talked about with Clint, for controlling corn rootworm. And I hope we do come back to the, the main topic of rotation. That is the number one, that is what I preach, that is what we should be practicing for controlling corn rootworm. But if we are going to recognize that corn is an incredibly valuable crop in terms of our feed um, and, and its economics, to us, uh, we do need to recognize that there are situations where corn on corn absolutely makes sense. And we need to protect ourselves from the rootworm that are associated with those corn on corn scenarios, right? Um, so 
in those scenarios, there's a number of tools in our toolbox. Uh, we've got insecticides in furrow that are more heavily used in the U.S. and a few of them are available to us here, although many of us don't have uh, planters equipped with them. Uh, there are um, BT traits that are in our triple stack corn, right, and hopefully we can keep them effective to continue working on corn rootworm. Uh, there are other insecticides that can be utilized to control um, adult beetles in crop uh, when we know we have high pressure. That's not my favorite way of dealing with things, but it's another tool in the toolbox. And there are, um, there is of course rotation, but there are other things that we are trying to explore to see if we can't um, add more tools to the toolbox. And that's where these nematodes really come in. So um, a number of years ago, uh, it was discovered that there are some naturally occurring nematodes in North America uh, that do prey on and feed on corn rootworm larvae. Um, a lot of that work has come out of Cornell University and we have partnered with them to continue this exploration of, of how those nematodes might be able to work in cornfields in Ontario to reduce your corn rootworm population. So that's really what we're after with some of our experiments now is we're looking to see how much of an effect can they have? Do they establish? Can they kind of continue to persist in the soil? And if so, how long can they persist in the soil to alleviate some of that corn rootworm pressure? Answer some of those basic questions, right? Uh, but it is important to highlight as we start to find out some of these questions with nematodes or with any technology that we're utilizing for corn rootworm, it's important to highlight that our main defense against corn rootworm is always rotation and all of these other tools in the toolbox need to be used in conjunction with each other, right? Uh, so nematodes alone will not solve our corn rootworm problems, right? And we can't just rely on them as a silver bullet fix. Um, BT technology is not a silver bullet fix, right? New technologies like RNAi are fantastic technologies and I'm excited about them coming to the table, but they're not a silver bullet and they can't be relied on alone. They have to work in conjunction with another tool in the toolbox, right? Or preferably multiple tools in the toolbox. And the biggest tool of them all is, is crop rotation, right? It's an easy fix for corn rootworm. So then let's talk about that crop rotation because obviously here in Ontario, there are livestock farmers that are putting corn on corn. They're, they've got animals to feed. Um, you've also got areas where maybe that's even higher because they're densely populated with livestock farmers. So, so how do you go about talking with growers to encourage them to use more rotation? What are some of the solutions for them that can both provide kind of feed as well as, um, you know, the opportunity to actually do something about rootworm resistance? I mean, you know, what's the future for the next few years? Well, you say some of this new technology does come, but also that we want to make sure that technology lasts once it does come to market. Yeah, so um, we the number one goal I have is I would love to be able to get to new technology in the future in our corn hybrids um, and be there when that's introduced and still have the stuff that's available today being effective, right? That's number one for me. Uh, well, because yeah. because BT is, it is very effective when it works as a technology. Yes, absolutely. And it should be, it should be highlighted that it still is working for 
most of the province, right? There are pockets where we've seen this uh, resistance start to pop up. There are pockets with high pressure where we need to take a close look at and act quickly to prevent further issues with resistance, but the technology is still working. The question and challenge we have in front of us now is to make sure we can protect that technology and keep it working. And so the conversation I often have with growers when we're talking about corn rootworm pressure and issues of building resistance is, is more around how to avoid those, right? And how to avoid that build of resistance while still being able to produce corn on corn in my bigger picture of rotation, right? Um, there are a lot of communities out there who are tight on land base and they need corn for feed. There are some other feed options that are out there and we often do talk about them in the bigger agricultural community. Um, we talk about them very idealistically in terms of what they can potentially do, but the bottom line is there are very few other economic options that are as strong as corn for that feed, right? So we do need to consider that and we need to be able to think through how we can grow corn on corn for at least a limited number of years without running into rootworm problems. So my main message for growers is really how do I utilize the technology effectively without pushing it so far that I'm abusing it and pushing the corn rootworm populations into a resistance scenario. Now, is it also something that, you know, is this something I need to talk with my neighbor about as well? Is this just, you know, my farm, my impact? Or, or how does that work at the community level? Well, I think the big word that you hit on there was community. Corn rootworm to me is a community issue, right? And you know, it's easy, it's easy to think of kind of just one grower, you know, I can rotate my crops, I'll be fine. And in a lot of cases that is fairly true. But in some of these areas where we have high amounts of corn on corn being used for feed, right, and limited land basis on top of that, right, we can effectively create a continuous corn crop within a neighborhood, uh, you know, for for 20 years or more right and and these pests uh corn rootworm itself do move they don't maybe move as far as other pests like western bean cutworm but the beetles do move right uh and they can move from one field into the next so if you are effectively creating a, a continuous corn crop within a neighborhood with your neighbors right it may be unwittingly com creating this but but indeed you can do it and you can in like can cause resistance issues as a result of that, right? So we need to think of it as a community sort of issue, right? Uh, in, in some of the very first issues of resistance that we've run into in the province, right? We've done investigations with guys who, who typically haven't used corn on corn, right? But the problem has come into their fields from neighbors who have been corn on corn for multiple years and, and where the resistance ultimately built at ground zero. We have to start thinking about it as a community issue. We have to start recognizing that everyone who's growing corn in Ontario has a part to play in this, right? And that good use of rotation uh, and, and going to other crops is huge in helping not just our own farms, not just our own fields with their soil fertility and soil health, but helping our neighbors out too, right? We want to ensure that everyone in our community who's farming and growing corn is getting enough of the product that they need to feed their livestock or, or to turn around and sell and feed their family. Well, and what comes to mind too is, you know, when you talk about the economics, that obviously there is an economic advantage to feeding corn to livestock. But what also comes to mind is 
that economic advantage disappears if my yield loss is 50%. Absolutely. Yeah, it disappears in a hurry if you're seeing that yield loss from corn rootworm pressure. Well, Greg, thanks very much for the time today. Thank you so much for having me on. I wish we were talking about a better topic, but I'm happy to be able to talk with you and to reach out to growers, hopefully, to highlight uh, the importance of an issue like corn rootworm and the things that we can very simply do to control a pest like this, right? So I'll leave you with rotation, rotation, rotation. What a great conversation, and I can't thank Clint and Greg enough for taking the time to discuss an issue that certainly sounds like it's going to need some attention going forward. For our next episode, resistance is the word we'll continue to use, but this time, resistant weeds. How to battle them, coming up in our next episode. On behalf of the entire Pioneer team, thank you so much for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Don't forget, you can always get in touch on Twitter at PioneerSeedsCA, or my handle is Fresh Air Farmer. And for more info or advice, talk to your local Pioneer rep or visit pioneer.com slash Canada.